0: Hello guys, this is probably a seventh episode of Expert Dispatch, I'm saying probably because we are not sure in what order they're coming, but anyway, let's welcome our guest who is Sarah, and I think she can introduce herself uh, briefly. <laughs>
1: Hello, my name is Sarah, I'm from Sudan. My background is in architecture and I'm happy to be here and share my experience in Netherlands so far, which has been quite challenging, (laughs) but I can give an introduction. I worked in Egypt, Saudi, and then I completed my master's in Erasmus. I did urban management and development and specialized in infrastructure in green cities. And after completing it, um, I started my job hunt got an internship, and now I'm still looking for a permanent job.
2: So, Sarah, thank you for this timeline of your life. So now I think we should focus more on specific chapters of it. Maybe let's start with when you were born. (laughs) So you were born in Sudan, right? Yep. How many years did you live there before moving to Saudi
1: Okay, I was born and raised in Sudan. I lived there for 16 years. I did my school studies there. And then I decided that I wanted to, because Sudan is a small community, and I wanted to leave that bubble and experience uh, life outside of Sudan. This is why I decided to study in Egypt for my bachelor. So I traveled when I was 16, and I stayed in Egypt for seven years. My bachelor was five years and then after that I did like two years of experience. Wow. Yeah.
2: Interesting. And how many people live in Sudan just out of curiosity?
1: Currently there are 40 million people, but you know Sudan was also separated while I was in university. It got separated in 2012, but usually statistics are not very accurate in Mm -hmm. this part of the world. But now it's the North Sudan is 40 million.
0: Mm But when you were leaving to Egypt for your studies, did you have any idea what's coming? Could you imagine that your country would be separated?
1: Not. I always knew there were issues in the country, like with the corruption, and Omar Bashir is all the best leader. But I did not think it will reach the extent of separation because both countries are kind of dependent on each other for their economy and everything. So now when they're separated, they didn't do any good for... Both countries now they're on a, in a worse situation and it was an unfair referendum because only the South voted for like the option of being of the secession and the North, they don't get the chance to vote. Yeah. But I do understand because, of course, South Sudanese are also not represented in the government and they were tired of it. So it's a bunch of accumulation of so many reasons that led to the situation now in Sudan but yeah, I went to Egypt because they're very close countries, mm-hmm. but yet they are very different in so many things in the in the lifestyle. Egypt is more metropolitan, and I met really nice people there who are and they're very hard workers. It's very different also because Egypt is really crowded; it's a fast-paced country, mm-hmm. unlike Sudan.
2: And yeah. where, where did you live in Egypt? In which...
1: I lived in Alexandria next to the beach. I always like to live next to the beach. And now I feel really out of context in Lederland.
0: Actually, uh, this year, it's not possible to travel by metro to the... from Holland. It Holland. was also cold. Yeah, on this Saturday, it's going to be plus 32. Yeah. Consider this option. Yeah, but so when you finished your bachelor's in Egypt, and uh, after you spend a couple of years working there, you moved to Saudi Arabia, right?
1: Yeah. So when I was working in Egypt, the office I was working on, most of the projects were in Saudi Arabia because it's still a, gr- a growing country, and uh, they're investing a lot in uh, construction and architecture in general. So I thought maybe since I'm in Egypt and working for Saudi, why not go to Saudi and get more exposure and working with different like stakeholders and all of this? So yes, I did this step uh, of going to Saudi, and it was a very, very different experience because when I traveled to Saudi, it was in 2014, and it was still a very conservative country, as in the segregation between men and women was very, very present when I went there. And so women being employed was also quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. It was still not open.
2: Yeah. back in, back in the days, women couldn't drive Yeah, car, know, they couldn't, couldn't go to cinemas. Yeah. There's... Has it changed a lot in the last decade?
1: It has transformed transformed completely especially after 2016 when the prince Abdullah passed away and the crown prince was in charge yes it completely changed because he came with a very different mindset and yes there was a, a huge transformation and I think I'm lucky that I have witnessed this change also everything comes with this, with its advantages and disadvantages because you also feel how they are starting to get really influenced with Westernization starting kind of to lose their culture and their like habits and stuff, their traditional habits, but also on the other side, like women are, are having more freedom, they're being more empowered, there's more openness to different ideas, like there's more tolerance. So mm-hmm. everything has advantages and disadvantages.
0: Um, yeah, it seems uh, they're going in the right direction, as you can say, but how can you describe the current political situation in Saudi Arabia, because at least based on my view on that, there's still plenty of restrictions. There are still some scandals related to that region. And yeah, maybe if you are a person who spent there, how many years actually?
1: I stayed there for six years.
0: So he spent there six yeah. years, You witnessed transformation of values and culture. Yeah, what do you think about the current situation?
1: That's a tricky question because, because of course, honestly, I feel that people don't don't have the freedom of speech because whatever the king orders, they're they're kind of following. Mm -hmm. I feel people are not free to criticize and everyone should be like, no system is perfect. There should always be room for criticism. Also, uh, for another point, I feel also what made me leave Saudi was mainly because there was lack of security. Because I have stayed there for six years, but at the end of the day, at any moment if my contract ends, I'll have to leave. Mm-hmm. So I don't like the, the fact that expats come into this country, like Saudi, and they cannot build anything for themselves. Mm-hmm. Even if you spend there 20 or 40 years at any moment, they can tell you like leave Mm-hmm. That's the end of your contract.
0: So you mean the difference between the other countries, for example, in Europe, that there is no such a rule, for example, if you stay for five years or 10 years, you cannot have a permanent resi- residency. Or a citizenship, is there a path?
1: They cannot get, unless you do a huge uh, investment, which mm-hmm. is like millions of um, mm-hmm. uh, reals, mm-hmm. which is basically they're targeting a certain caliber of people. Mm-hmm. They're not targeting people who actually stayed in the country, invested their time and... A lot of their efforts into building something. This is not a possibility. So I felt there was a really lack of security. Regarding the politics, I'm uh, not 100% supportive, of course, of the politics because when people cannot criticize them and people being jailed and I don't know if you've heard the news, for instance, like Khashoggi.
2: Yeah, the journalists. <laughs> the journalists were
1: Like, this is crazy. And no one is allowed to speak about it. Even if you're in, at work and you talk about it, you, they can be threatened mm-hmm. and go to jail or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I, I don't like this. And I don't like the fact that currently a lot of investment is going in things such as parties like the Middle Beast, I don't know what festival. And then there is, uh, as a really lack of infrastructure. For instance, there is no public transportation. There is no public libraries. Uh, the education level is really not that not the best. <laughs> it is improving, but there is a, there are important things that they should spend money on.
0: That's uh, even more interesting, uh, considering that. Um... I think last year uh, there were uh, a couple of projects, very ambiguous. Yep. As to say about building a city in the yep. desert, yep. like in line, how to hold the line or something. Yep. Yeah,
2: something Also, I think they want to build the tallest building in the world in Jeddah. I think.
1: Yeah, this project actually stopped because I don't know if you heard about the Ritz-Carlton event when they have gathered all the oh, yeah, yeah. businessmen into one hotel and <laughs> like to get money out of them. So the owner of this project is kind of stopped, who withdrew this investment.
0: I guess the potential reasons why you could have left Saudi are pretty obvious. <laughs> you just uh, describe them in general. But maybe you have other reasons of coming in particular to the Netherlands.
1: Yes, but I want to also point out that even though there are some uh, negatives about Saudi, I really did enjoy my time there because before going to Saudi, everyone told me like they did not encourage me to come to Saudi because of all what we hear. But then when I experienced it, the people are really, really nice, very kind. The restrictions were honestly annoying, but then if you go your way around it, Mm -hmm. it's manageable to live in and you do enjoy your time eventually. Yes, I came to Netherlands because I felt like I I needed a change. I lived a bit in North Africa. I lived a bit in the Middle East. Now I wanted to experience Europe. (laughs) uh Also because I was really passionate to continue with my studies. Because I was really interested into urban management, urban development. Uh, also, I'm really interested into combining agriculture into urbanism. Like this was something, because I read the book before about it, and I was really intrigued uh, to know more about and get like practical experience. This is why I chose to come to Netherlands to uh, g- gain this knowledge and also have an experience, practical experience in it.
2: You came here, I think, at the same time as we did, right in yep. 2021. 20, then we studied together. We were doing the same masters. How how can you describe this program? Did you find what you were like hoping to get out of it, or it was still kind of an underdevelopment
1: education? Thing. That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the course, some of the courses, I really enjoyed it. And I did gain a lot of knowledge, but not what I expected. I think it was very theoretical because, you know, when they advertise about the program, they speak a lot about getting the, also speaking with professionals and getting to know the market and how it's operating and all these things. I felt the master's was lacking this side Mm. of being in touch with how the market actually works and in reality.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But on the other side, my course was full of theories.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And it opened my mind to other, other things. I'm, I'm going to say it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also getting to meet people from all over the world. Honestly, this was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the connections that we have created and everything. But also I felt that it was really focused on the glo- global south. When, after COVID, a lot of things changed because the funding is no longer existing and I felt like the, the course curriculum itself needed to be changed after COVID and this did not really happen.
0: In what direction do you think it should have been changed? Uh,
1: I think because while well, IHS has people who come through with the OKP and others who actually like pay to get also not on education, but also like, for instance, an internship, a work experience on all of this, an inter, basically an international experience. And I felt that the course was really, really focused on people going back to their country mm-hmm. and probably working in organizations and NGOs when not all of us are going to take this path.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I felt they needed to also accommodate the curriculum to like be more diverse for people who are considering other paths, other routes. Mm-hmm. So I, I would have hoped that they would kind of give us this option.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think mm-hmm. my main concern, and uh, I guess Mitri also agrees on that, that the curriculum was designed in such a way. So most of the people
2: would come back to their country of origins. And implement the knowledge they got. Uh, but it is um, misleading because they advertise it in a different way. They don't specify that it's tailored towards this particular group of people who would, yeah, who, are, who get the scholarship. and Then uh, they return back to their countries. They advertise it as like a university applicable degree where you can find jobs anywhere, but the education mm-hmm. you get there is not really applicable in the European context.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about your course, but my course mentioned stuff like how to source finance or how mm-hmm. to study the cost benefit analysis and all of these things. And we comp- did not even touch this mm. part.
2: <laughs> Mark, but what was your course again?
1: Infrastructure and ah. marine cities. So I feel like financing is a really major issue, especially if even in the Global South, yeah, from where you can get uh, financing and how can you manage it. Mm-hmm. And I was disappointed that this was not even even introduced to us, or just like vaguely, but not in a way, like what are the tools or methods or mm-hmm. we can use, mm-hmm. it wasn't really.
0: Yeah. I think we are on the same page uh, in terms of our experience at IHS, but coming to the next chapter of your life and ours as well the job hunt, can you describe, can you tell us how long did it take you to find a job? How was the process maybe comparing to your previous ones? Yeah.
1: Well, after uh, completing my master, I came to the realization that everything is in Netherland is very competitive. Like if you
2: want
1: want to find an apartment, if you want to find a job, you really have to market yourself (laughs) Mm -hmm. in everything. So the job hunt, actually like the job hunt for me was, I'm going to be honest, like it wasn't really difficult in my first internship session part. Because first of all, I did not want to get an internship, but here they don't really take in consideration your past experience. Mm-hmm. So it's like completely crossed. But I feel it also helped me to get an internship faster. Mm-hmm. So when I looked for a job, I tried to look for something that I already d- connected to my thesis, mm-hmm. to my studies, and this helped me a lot so I can build on it. I did get like, actually I got for like three interviews. And I got accepted in two jobs, two internships. And I ended up choosing choosing an organization that basically works in regenerative agriculture. And the experience, honestly, was really insightful. And it was very challenging. And I really, really enjoyed working with the people mm-hmm. at this organization. But unfortunately, it, not, it did not end well. After six months and after actually negotiating the contract and getting the whole profile, get an extension and everything, the organization went through a financial challenge and they weren't able to extend my contract, which was very unfortunate. Of course, I was angry and very disappointed because I have been discussing my visa situation and everything since like the middle of the internship, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's a startup. And basically what they told me is that the person who was in charge of the budgets and everything was not, did not do his job properly, basically, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is now they're going through this whole mess. Yes. And it was frustrating, but I have hope (laughs) (laughs) and I would advise anyone that who has an internship to like also look for something else. Mm -hmm during this internship, like look for other options, which I honestly didn't because I was kind of happy and I felt there was going fine and I was kind of relaxed about it. And I was like,
2: yeah, on the brighter side, you are now open to new challenges and opportunities. I am.
1: Yes, I am. And I definitely gained more experience and what I would like to have a career on. Um, yes, but it's also, now we're in a summer vacation. Everyone is not responding. <laughs> <laughs> so it's also kind of hard, but yeah, I'm optimistic. We'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah. Let me just uh, that uh, his uh, job. I mean, he will start in autumn, but I think one of the important things, maybe the most important thing that helped him to land this job is his internship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, for some reasons i didn't do any internships because i still kind of had a hope to find junior positions and yeah maybe i was not very realistic about that but to be honest there were not that many internships that uh, suited me it's not that i had as you said offers and i declined them maybe i was looking in a bit wrong direction but still now we in the same situation of looking for a job here. And I think you have, I mean, apart from you having more experience in Saudi and Egypt, you also have internship here and which is actually something they would definitely consider.
2: Yeah. I think it so. gives you a good chance of finding a job, but in general, it's a good path. I think it's the path that works. You first find an internship and then even if the company you're doing the internship at don't offer you a job, you have more chances of finding something through that.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, because as you said, your previous experience here doesn't really matter as long as it's an experience in the US yeah. or in the European countries. If it's outside of Europe or this developed world, this experience is sort of irrelevant, which is, which is unfair completely. It
1: is unfair. And also, I feel like uh, with the internship, you get a chance to create more networks. Yeah. This definitely helped me with my second job hunt because now... The people that I used to work with are actually helping me to, or suggesting, recommending some places that I can work on. Um, there's something else I wanted to
0: mention. Yeah, actually just a side note. It's not that they don't consider a previous experience because I have a acquaintance who got a job here, surprisingly, in a big private company, even though most of his experience was uh, was in organizations connected to the regional government in Russia of like some analytical centers. And so, yeah, it's still possible and they still consider your experience. Maybe they just don't understand to what extent it's applicable. And I think they're much more cautious with that cases. And also I already touched upon this topic in previous episodes, but based on my observations here, the trend is that Netherlands are becoming less in need of foreigners, of expats, because the market is not growing that fast. I think
1: I think one person told me actually that the market in Netherlands is growing, because after the Brexit, a mm-hmm. lot of companies they have moved to Amsterdam, because they now have to speak Eng- basically some transactions are in English, mm-hmm. most transactions, mm-hmm. and also because Netherlands is considered tax heaven.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, how true is that? Yeah, I mean, this part with Brexit is definitely true. But also, I guess, they're mostly looking for native English-speaking uh, people and from people from the UK who yeah. also travel, relocate here. Or people
1: with a European language. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah.
0: I mean, there are a lot of people just also coming to Netherlands from other European countries. And also, I'm not an expert in this sphere, but for example, what was really appealing for the experts is 30% ruling, tax true, which is actually not applicable to us. As we finished our master's here, and from the next year, it won't be applicable to anyone because they are canceling this option. No way. So yeah, more programs are going to be taught in Dutch, the universities. So, yeah.
2: They're becoming more, more selective in terms of people they're looking for. I think that's the trend. They yeah. don't want to take everyone. They want specific people in yeah. specific industries for specific yeah. positions. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's the trend that's happening right now. And also, at least my experience,
0: they're more asking for the even fluency, not, not only knowledge, because yeah. I have some Dutch knowledge. I guess you just came here to our <laughs> podcast after Dutch classes. Actually, yeah. what is your what is your level of Dutch? What is your experience of learning? it?
1: My level of Dutch is very poor. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, when I came to Netherlands, I, co- I had no awareness completely with the language, because uh, I never like was exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And I signed up for an Erasmus class, Dutch class, but I did not enjoy it because the teacher, first of all, was very strict. And we were already busy with the courses and the studies and everything. And to learn a new language, you need to be committed. And you really need to dedicate time for it, and which I didn't do. Mm-hmm. So yes, uh, I failed the exam. <laughs> so now I'm taking the Dutch classes with the municipality. I feel now that the learning the language is kind of easier because now I'm more familiar with a few words. Mm-hmm. So I think before getting into like a uh, serious class, my advice would be be a bit more familiar with some words, do some doing, then go like study by yourself and then enter a, mm-hmm. a serious class because that's gonna make it easier for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, maybe you have something to share about cultural differences
2: in the Netherlands. Yeah, I think it's super interesting considering that you came from yeah. Sudan, Egypt, the Saudis, completely different culture, completely yeah, yeah, different yeah. way of life. Maybe you can True. share your experience in that regard. has it been yeah, of for course,
1: you? So of course, it's very different. My lifestyle kind of changed. Yes, it's different because first of all, I'm Muslim myself. And Islam is really embedded in our lifestyle. So, for instance, the five times of prayer and everything. Like here, you have to really have a, an alarm to remember. Mm-hmm. But, like for instance, back home, we just hear the adhan, yeah. and everyone would take a, naturally would take a break mm-hmm. during uh, prayer times to have some five minutes mm-hmm. to pray and come back. But here, I really need to set the alarm to remember. But generally speaking, I felt people were very open about it. Like even at work, mm-hmm. I fasted with my uh, okay. uh, colleagues and they were very curious to know why do we fast and uh, mm-hmm. why do you, what, what do you eat and what's the purpose and everything. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were very, very uh, curious to know about the religion. And it's also because it's mostly our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like you, you cannot separate both of but them, you know, really so other than that whenever i'm in a different country i'm in the middle of other internationals so i wasn't really shocked with the cultural differences i I had an idea of how it would look like Mm -hmm. but so honestly maybe the food was the worst (laughs) thing yeah Sure. Like, this is what I can mention because mm-hmm. I really struggled with good food and the spices and the flavors. And I be like, oh, this is a uh, liquor and I was like, oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: what's a liquor, well, it's like cheese and toast. That. <laughs> but the cheese is good, The how the cheese is nice. I really liked it. I think. Other than that, honestly, everyone, everyone was really friendly.
0: Yeah. Just by the way, when you are describing your experience about five times doing praying during the day. Did you manage to follow it when you came here or?
1: In the beginning, not really. It was a challenge because first of all, I think IHS, since it has like a lot of internationals and people from different cultures and religions, there should be like a worship room or something yeah, like some sort of privacy, which there isn't in I, IHS.
2: I think there is in IHS.
1: No,
0: there wasn't. There, but I remember one of our Egyptian classmates, he was coming somewhere. maybe. At Erasmus in January, Yeah, maybe, maybe there, there is. is. I'm I don't think sure.
1: there is, because uh, we asked about it and mm. uh, there wasn't. Um, yeah, I struggled with finding a space. Uh, I would always be a student or some, someone like sitting and I'd be like, is it okay if I just fail the side?" Okay. But I had to do it because it would just be a hassle to go back and do five, all of them together. But what was supportive was that there were so many uh, Arabs in our class, who already understood the culture and they also celebrated with us. Like they don't necessarily have to be Muslim or whatever, but because they are aware of these celebrations or customs or whatever, Mm -hmm. like we would celebrate together, which I found it really nice. And we would celebrate like Easter, Christmas and Mm -hmm. New Year. Which was fun. I really like that. Mm-hmm. that yeah.
0: People are open towards. Something. Yeah, we had a very, very international atmosphere, and uh, yeah, that's yeah, my, that's the amazing part. I think all of the people we when talking about the bright sides of our experience here talk about this. I
2: think everyone who studied there learned so much about different cultures, True. different customs, and we're now more think, yeah. acceptable of each other's differences. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: It's like maybe even <laughs> in terms of educational structure and everything. other, There is there are some questions, but in terms of cultural experience and just raising your awareness of the differences yeah. in the world. Yeah, that's what's happening.
1: Usually religion is a very sensitive topic and it's the cause of many problems around the world.
0: So, uh, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> but, but I feel like it's really important for people to ask questions mm-hmm. and of course you have to be kind of, to do it in a respectable way and because really you, sometimes we're, we can be ignorant by not by purpose but like mm-hmm. you just don't know because you weren't you, you never met someone from this uh, particular culture or mm-hmm. religion so asking questions i feel like it's a really nice way to learn more about uh, what's happening in outside of your country
2: yeah person to person communication really helps yeah to dismantle on this negative stereotypes and assumptions that are based on some prejudice I and agree. all that and when you really meet a person you start talking to them there's so many things that you understand yeah but yeah, we will also need to be careful
0: here because for example if it's like one or two people from a country you cannot like
2: you can't make assumptions about the whole culture in the country True, you cannot yeah course well, of course, course yeah. meeting a single person from that country or maybe already have some assumptions yeah. that based on some propaganda maybe that you've been True. influenced and then when you meet even a single person from a that country you already can understand a lot of things that yeah. you've been not aware anymore of. yeah no that's
0: a unique experience i will agree on yeah maybe you also can share briefly with us your future plans if you have any because you mentioned you're coming to saudi arabia All
1: right. yeah my future plans for now is to go back to visit my family for the time being yeah my family lives in saudi And I'll go for five days to Venice (laughs) before going to Saudi. (laughs) And I didn't book a ticket back. So I'll see what's going to happen, like with my job applications and everything. I do plan to come in the beginning of August to see what's gonna happen but also i'm kind of worried because i don't know if you guys know about the situation in sudan but there is a war going on there mm-hmm. which started one month ago almost one month uh, one month and a half ago like it's really really bad the situation there and probably not a lot of people know what's going on because it's not getting a lot of uh, media attention of mm-hmm. course mm-hmm. but uh, people basically evacuated the city and all people are being displaced and there there are basically no amenities, nothing, no infrastructure. The country is destroyed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, b- just by the way, for some reason, maybe because we discussed it a few days ago on our friend's birthday, this topic, I had a targeted ad on YouTube for raising money for children of Sudan. So just, yeah, had this idea, maybe if you, if you would like to share, or maybe you Yeah, already know some some of the resources which can help to collect maybe money or some aid or maybe just raise awareness. You can share it with us. I'm gonna include it in the description of our podcast because this is really actually I would say even disgrace for some Western media outlets that they have their agenda and they just don't almost don't cover some parts of the world and that's why. Yeah, we don't know about
2: it. Well,
1: yeah, and honestly, what's even worse is that the EU was kind of giving money to one of the warlords, his mm-hmm. name is Hemeti, to stop the refugees coming from the Horn of Africa. Mm-hmm. So this is actually also very shameful that other countries intervening in a way that just makes our country even worse. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. It's all the EU It has been supported by UAE, KSA because he has a militia and everything. So it's really, really disgraceful. And people were just angry about this. How could he be acknowledged in the international community and actually given like this sort of authority when he's a warlord? Mm -hmm. So people really angry about the situation and uh, these interventions that that happen without any, like care about the human beings who are living there and the consequences.
0: Yeah, let's hope that this awful situation will deserve more attention yeah. uh, around the world and at least the active phase of war would stop. So people could decide uh, in a peaceful way what to do next. And uh, yeah, uh, for our podcast, we wish all the best uh, to you and all the people you know from Sudan.
1: Thank you, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that.
2: Well, I think it's time to say thank you to our guest for sharing this interesting story about your life, about your journeys from one country to another, living in different uh, (laughs) cultures, experience, and all these different things. Yeah. And we wish you all the best, Uh, good luck with your future journey and we'll of course stay in touch and yeah, be supportive for each other. Yeah, yeah,
0: I absolutely agree with what Dimitri just said. And I hope you will either find your way in the Netherlands or at least, if not exactly at this country, in a place which will comfort you and you will do things that you already know can give you satisfaction and also be helpful for others.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm... I really enjoyed this podcast. Based on my personal experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, we can do the fact check. It's not a registered media. There (laughs) is no censorship. Yeah, you can say anything. And uh, yeah, for our listeners, even though we trust our guests and we don't select them randomly, but if you've heard some information that you disagree with, I hope you understand that this is all just an opinion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thanks again. Thanks for coming. I hope you'll enjoy this uh, episode, which is a bit unusual from others because we didn't only focus on the Netherlands. We also discussed other countries, other regions, because it's not about only making it here, it's about the life journeys of people who are living their places and travel around the world and ending up in the Netherlands around us. Yeah. And see you next episode. do doi. doi.